Welcome to the Way of the Weaver podcast, where we explore magic, justice, and community. Thanks for showing up to our queer-centric, radically enchanted conversations. Our world needs your magic. I'm Jamie Wagner. My pronouns are she and her, and I'm coming to you from Muskogee land in so-called Alabama. I'm Murphy Robinson. My pronouns are they or he, and I'm coming to you from Indakana, the land of the Abenaki people, also known as Vermont. Welcome to episode 11 on animism and belonging to something larger than yourself. Um, Jamie and I are super excited to discuss this topic today. Um, and Jamie, I thought we'd start off by just brainstorming a little bit about the, kind of how this applies in our own lives. Would would you be down to tell us uh, like what are the what are the beings in your everyday life that you feel a sense of belonging with other than humans? Other than humans? <laughs> Um, yeah, there's actually a lot. Um, I have a dog and I have three cats, so I'm always, you know, talking to those guys and, um, they're very much part of my family. I don't, I don't really consider them like pets. I consider them like family members. Um, also I'm, I'm a plant lady. (laughs) Um, I love plants. I have several plants indoors and outdoors, um, that I tend to all year round and I, I talk to my plants. <laughs> I talk to my plants a lot. And some of them even have names, which I don't really, I've, I didn't give them the names. Like they just kind of, I just intuited the names by talking with them. And they're, some of them are goofy. Like I have a plant named Alfredo, <laughs> wow. which yeah, is really good. goofy. And I, and I love it, um, which, you know, tells me a little bit about that plant's personality. Um, I live in a house, um, in a neighborhood, you know, but I feel my house, I think my house was built in 1983, which is a young house compared to the houses up in Vermont. But um, the house has been here a while and it definitely has a spirit. And I, I talk to the house too. I talk to my house a lot. What about you, Murphy? Uh, well, um, I, I mean, I live up on this mountainside in Vermont um, and one of the main features on this land is the brook. Um, and the like we you have to actually cross the brook to get um to my land from the road there's like a little bridge um so it's kind of like a a guardian force on the edge of our land um and it it changes with the seasons you know the waters rise and fall and freeze and thaw and all of that and it you know it sings its song most of the year um and so and we also have several um smaller streams on the land that like feed into the brook uh, little tributary streams and so I, I have a pretty good relationship going with the, the spirit of the brook and the, and the spirits of the streams where I'll like sing them songs sometimes or just just check in with them a lot. You know, I mean, anytime I go anywhere, I have to walk out across the brook. So it's um, it's like a, a regular hello uh, with those spirits. And and also, you know, the brook, I want to stay in good relationship with the brook because uh, there, we've had a lot of flooding recently in Vermont. Um, yeah. yeah. And the, you know, the brooks here haven't, uh, jumped their banks in any meaningful way in the recent catastrophic floods, but um, I figure having a real good relationship with those spirits probably helps with that. Um, yeah, and... I've been there once when um, there was a pretty wicked storm happening, and the sound of the brook like rolling boulders and rushing water was epic. 
<laughs> yeah, you were, you were here for the biggest flood we ever had. That was, that was scary. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was um, really epic, yeah. yeah. So the brook is, it's good to stay on the brook's good side. Um, and, uh, you know, I heat my house entirely with a uh, wood stove, um, with wood that I harvest and split on the land. So I feel like in this season, in the winter, um, my relationship with the fire in the stove in my house with the hearth is really strong because I have to, you know, feed it wood like three times a day. Um, and just, you know, bring in wood and shuffling around wood is a big part of the, the winter in Vermont. Um, and so, yeah, the, just the, like, given that the, the wood is from trees that I felled myself on my land and I bucked them and I split them and I stacked the wood. And so when I'm, even when I'm just carrying around the wood, I feel like I have a relationship to that being, um, that I, you know, did prayers of gratitude to before, before I felled it and everything like that. Um, and then that being the, the fuel for the fire that keeps me warm all night. It just, I just feel like I'm in pretty direct relationship. It feels like the fire is kind of like one of my housemates, you know, um, <laughs> I love that. That's and then really cool. need some regular tending. Um, and um, I feel like I'm in relationship with the snow this time of year too, partially because um, at this time of year, my, my source of water in my house is to melt snow on the wood stove. Um, so I'm regularly going out and, and like harvesting the snow from, uh areas where the dog and cat don't go don't go um and uh and uh just sort of that that keeps me in a regular observation of like how is the snow today is it light and fluffy is it dense and wet is it icy and frozen like what what has been the weather pattern um and how is that affecting the snow so that's kind of it's a relationship with the snow and with like just the weather here um and yeah i also would say i have relationships with, with animal domestic animals and um and non-domestic animals and garden plants in my garden all of that but those are a few of the main ones that i think about at this time of year so um in terms of like what does this have to do with animism um <laughs> we could do some we could do some definitions <laughs> um yeah, yeah. i'm wondering about that Well, I mean, uh, so I have a background in philosophy. In philosophy, the term anima is used a lot, and it usually refers to the soul, like the eminent part of the soul as distinguished from like the logical or rational mind, like the part of the soul that's just present. Um, you know, we get the word English word animated from anima, uh, which is a Latin word in origin. Um, yeah, the anima is present. It's constant. It's experiencing without forethought or judgment. So that's um, that was my first introduction to the term. <laughs> yeah i i think when i think of animism i just think of the belief that like everything has a soul um whether we're talking about humans uh non-human animals plants rocks stars celestial bodies like the sun and the moon like um sort of whether we would think of these things as conscious or unconscious or animate or inanimate but they would all be considered to have a soul and and some level of a consciousness that we can like be in courteous relationship with um there's a quote that i really like from graham harvey who was a british ethnographer who studied the ojibwe the maori the australian aboriginals and also western eco-pagan ac activists so people like us <laughs> uh, they included that in their in their um ethnographies and um they said animists are people who recognize that the world is full of persons only some of whom are human and that life is always lived in relationship to others 
Animism is lived out in various ways that are all about learning to act respectfully, carefully, and constructively towards and among other persons. And I really yeah. like that definition because just yeah. just saying that everything has a soul doesn't mean that you like give a damn about how you're treating mm-hmm. other unsold beings. Mm-hmm. But he kind of includes this this concept that you know everything has a soul, and therefore we need to be courteous. Yeah, to everything. yeah, absolutely. And and like polytheism, like being in a relationship with multiple gods, maybe from multiple pantheons, that is an aspect of animism for some people. Some people use animism as just like, oh, yes, I talk to the flowers and the trees. And that's sort of like what it encompasses in their practice. But it also can include, you know, and I talk to Hades and I talk to Thor and, you know, those, yeah, those kind uh, of. I talk to Hades souls. every morning. Sorry, I didn't mention that in the, when you asked me about <laughs> it, but I have, um, I have my altar to Hades is like in my front entryway. So, and like the staircase to go up and downstairs from like the bedrooms upstairs to everything else that's downstairs, you know, I pass that altar all the time. And I usually say, I usually give them a shout out every time I pass, but especially like the first time I go past it in the morning, I like, I like, um, I guess I, I do like a little offering, like an offering of breath where I like, you know, touch my mouth and like touch the altar and say, Hey, good morning. And I usually do that at night too. So I do that like at least twice a day. <laughs> so yeah, I would say I could identify with that being part of, um, part of my, my own practices as someone who's an animist. Yeah, and I I definitely use that sort of expanded definition of animism too, where like everything has a soul, including things that are not corporeal, like or uh-huh. you know, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just sitting here, and like right next to me is my tarot deck, right? And I definitely feel like my tarot deck has, um, a like unique, insold, uh, being presence. You know, I talk to it all the time when I use it. So yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. You tend to have really strong relationship with your tools in that way. I remember your relationship with your drum. Um, yeah. Really, really strong. Yeah. Involved a lot of reciprocity and and praise. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and um, also the cauldron that I use a lot. I have a really deep relationship with that. So, yeah, and, you know, like really like strong emotional feelings, <laughs> you know, um, I think for me, it like goes a little bit beyond respect. Like it's, it's, you know, it's a feeling of love and a feeling of like shared relationship. So, yeah. <laughs> and this is present in like, I feel like it's trickled into modern popular culture in some interesting ways, like um, the Marie Kondo books, the magical art of tidying up or whatever it is. Um, oh, Yeah. Uh, they, you know, she talks about taking each object in your home, holding it, asking if it brings you joy. And then she talks about the sort of like spiritual morality of letting things go if they don't bring you joy so that they can bring someone else's joy. And she really kind of talks about it from the possessions perspective of like, yeah, oh, if you don't like yeah. this dress anymore, it deserves to go to someone who will love it, you know? Um, and that, mm-hmm. that comes mm-hmm. from her background as a Shinto, like altar girl in a, uh, Shinto temple you know that that's these are actually like you know Shinto is a very animist religion there are there are like living religions other than modern together ancestral paganism that still uh, you know honor these kinds of souls around us and and that seeps yeah, into our culture yeah absolutely so I I think that this the part of the like purpose and usefulness of animism in the modern world is it's very 
um, feels very relevant because we have this sort of like crisis of loneliness in modern culture. Um, and, you know, I mean, like the Surgeon General of the U.S. issued a report uh, last year um, about like the crisis of loneliness and how social disconnection is like causing literal health problems for people. And it's one of the like sense of connectedness and, and social support is like a really good indicator of health and longevity. Um, and, so, you know, we're living this hyper digital world where we're on our phones a lot people people have very strong also animus relationships with their phones and computers i would say they're not always friendly <laughs> ones but they do <laughs> they're very personified yeah for yeah us. i have a very strong connection with my laptop i mean as a writer it's like i i it's like my livelihood like it's you know i spend so much time with it <laughs> yeah and so these these tools accompany us as well but they're also sort of portals to forms of connection that aren't as embodied and that that I think increases loneliness you know um and one big change we've had in the U.S. in the past I don't know half century or something like that um is that participation in religious communities has steeply declined and you know in many cases this is due to the like hierarchical nature of those communities and you know their lack of inclusivity for marginalized identities so people are kind of moving away from that, which is like probably healthy Mm -hmm. boundaries. Um, But those communities were often a place where you could experience belonging to a larger community, even if you weren't like directly friends with everyone there. There's like often an ethic in a religious community of like including everyone and helping those who need help, um, you know, as a community and things like that. Um, Yeah. A lot of community care. And so we've, we don't have as much of that anymore. And it's like kind of a passion of mine of like how can pagan communities forge that kind of uh, sense of belonging and of community resilience, you know, without reproducing the negative aspects of those communities of being like hierarchical yeah. controlling. Yeah, I think that's what we really try to do in Way of the Weaver. Um, and, you know, and then we have several different tools and tactics that we take to uh, make that happen. But I think you're definitely. Right. I just in my own family, I've observed that um, the church was so central to like my grandparents and my great grandparents life. And in in a way that it's not central to um, I mean, of course, I I don't attend a Christian church anymore. But uh, even, you know, my the my peers, like my peer group of the same age, um, it's dramatically different that the church is definitely not the center of at the center of like social and community life. So yeah. Yeah, so we don't we don't have a lot of like systems for how to replace that and therefore we end up feeling like fractured and separate and alone um and i think that animism has uh has the power to bring us some like comfort and support in that i don't think it replaces entirely replaces having like healthy human communities at all (laughs) but um yeah there's something nice about warm bodies (laughs) yeah yeah totally um but belonging is this fundamental human need to feel this belonging that is you know it's 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 wired into us for for most people maybe there's some like neurodivergent folks who have a, a different relationship to it but for the majority of people um it's something that we really really need so we get to choose who we include in our framework of belonging and the more we include the more chances we have to feel this sense of belonging. And so animism ah. is this powerful tool for like having more ensouled beings that you can belong with. 
Ah, okay. Um, I see where you're going here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, and I, and I intentionally use that framework of like belonging with versus belonging to, because belonging yeah. to get into these frameworks of like ownership and control. Um, and you know, if everyone's consenting and that's what makes you happy, like whatever, but um, in general, we like to encourage a, um, you know, just everyone's empowerment and everyone's um, yeah. control of their own experience and, um, therefore we want to belong with others as more than we want to belong to them. Yeah. It's a time when, um, those, those teeny little prepositions are important belonging to versus belonging with. And I, yeah. And I think we're speaking today about belonging with, so yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so when I was thinking about this topic, I was, I sort of was breaking this down into like three different circles of belonging that can be like healing to the sense of loneliness in modern life. Um, and the first one is belonging to nature, you know, like we've been talking about the the plants in our yards, the the streams, the stars in the sky, um, all those sorts of things. If if everything has a soul, then everything can keep us company. And just like with a relationship with a human, like the more you kind of invest in that relationship and offer to that relationship, probably the more you're gonna feel back. Um, there tends to be like this sense of connection and reciprocity if if you take a little initiative with these beings, because they're probably not used to being acknowledged by humans. Um, mm -hmm. And um, it could also just include the the specific elements where you live, the earth, air, fire, and water manifestations, you know, like the fire in my hearth, in my wood stove. Um, and just like a lot of people will have um, stones like on their altars, whether they're, you know, precious gems or they're just some beach stone that you felt called to or something like yeah. that. Um, the, these things can be the manifestations of the elements are all around us, no matter where we are, whether it's in the middle of the city or in, in the countryside. And also we can, with, with their consent, we can bring representatives of those elements into our, in our into our practice, into our homes and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I, I, that consent piece is really important. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, and it's interesting because you said like a lot of a lot of these beings aren't used to being acknowledged by humans or they're used to being exploited by humans and not really asked their opinion or consent for anything. So, uh -huh. uh, you know, it's really important that we be in, in respectful relationship. Yeah, I mean, it re reminds me of like building a friendship with a cat, like maybe <laughs> not a cat that you feed, just a cat that you like see in the world in your daily life and like you really have to court it most times i mean some cats are just mm -hmm. all over everybody but um but you know there's a whole practice of like coming nearby and like offering a hand and offering some some gentle words and doing this regularly day after day and being reliable and being safe to be around um and i feel like that can apply with all kinds of ensouled beings yeah absolutely ah oh, i love that <laughs> um so you know there's there's that being in a relationship with the, the concrete things around us that have a soul um and then there's belonging uh with the spirits around us and that these are the what we talked about with like the non-corporeal souls around us um and you get to choose what kind of spirits you want to experience belonging with so um for for many people uh sort of like easy to to approach way into this is ancestors you know maybe yeah. your grandmother or your great-grandmother who's passed away or something like that you know being in a relationship with 
those spirits can be a little easier because you either knew them or you know the stories of them, you know, their blood flows in your veins if if you have an actual blood relationship with the family in that way. And, um, you know, they're, they're approachable. They're also not like big, scary gods with thunderbolts or anything like that. Usually it depends on your grandmother. I don't know. Have you met my grandmother? <laughs> <laughs> but um, <laughs> so that can be a really powerful way in for folks. Um, and then there are the people who feel really comfortable being in relationship with the gods. Um, you know, maybe they have a particular pantheon that they build a relationship with, or maybe there's a, a few gods from different pantheons that have really called to them or that they've sort of courted. Um, you know, we, we talked a lot in our radical devotion course last year about like courting, courting the gods and how do we like initiate that relationship as well. Um, but those those are beings that many, many people have been in relationship with. There's this sort of power of tradition behind those relationships as well. Um, and then there's a category of beings that I would sort of loosely call the Fae. That's that's like a rather sort of um, Gaelic framework for it a little bit. But um, the they're sort of like the the local spirits of the land, the the, um, the spirits of place. Yeah. Um, and and those are present, um, you know, where wherever we are, there's there's spirits of of that place and spirits, um, yeah, of that of that landscape and that history that are maybe you know maybe we don't have like named deities and written down stories about them, but people in that place for a long time have probably been sensing these beings to some degree and interacting and we can kind of rediscover that by reaching out and yeah um, well, a lot of a lot of folklore is concerned with being in right relationship with uh, spirits of place um, and a lot of folk magic surrounds that as well so uh, oftentimes if we don't have like we would you know like you know mythology that people have written down we have a lot of folk traditions that we can look to um, because it was all about being a good neighbor <laughs> mm -hmm. Indeed, which is important to practice with with all beings year round, um, and I would also kind of include the you know the elements in this category. Uh, we talked about the elements mm -hmm. in belonging with nature, but um, the elements in their more universal energetic forms. Like if you're someone who calls the quarters when you cast a circle for magical work and calls the four elements, yeah. you're probably yeah. you're probably calling on. The universal fire, not the fire of this specific candle in particular, or like you're calling on both of them. But I feel like those those could be in the sort of belonging with spirit category as well. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Yeah. And also it doesn't have to have a name. You know, some people aren't as comfortable with with naming these beings because it maybe it feels uncomfortably close to a like a church tradition from their youth that was not healthy for them or something like that, having like a named God or being. Um, so some people just call it spirit or the universe, um, higher power, you know, whatever, whatever floats your boat. I don't think you have to like call it by a specific name for it to be animist. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, you know, all, all of us, I, I feel like all of us can sense spirit, like by whatever name we call it, <laughs> you know, we can all sense it in the world around us. So, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Jamie, do you have any wisdom from your um, your practice as like a death doula and a hospice worker on like helping people tap into spirit when you don't necessarily know their religion or their beliefs? Uh, yeah. So 
a lot of, uh, you know, again, like some people, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's difficult because you may not know their beliefs or they may have a traumatic uh, history with sort of, um, you know, like religious structures and things like that. So, you know, usually I just advise people to, you know, close their eyes, breathe deeply and just listen um, to the sound of the world around them, um, you know, or to just go outside just to, you know, if they're, if possible to just feel the breeze, just feel the air hitting their skin or to feel the sun hitting their face. Um, you know, when people don't have a uh, language or concept around belonging to spirit, that can really help. Like it can really help to bring it to a place of, um, well, embodiment, that's the term that you brought up earlier, you know, because, because spirit is so ethereal, um, you know, if you can, you know, I liken it to when I go to the ocean, I love to stand on the, the shore of the ocean and watch all those waves roll in. And to me, it's so calming. And I really feel like I belong to something so much larger than myself that I can't even comprehend how big it is. So I, you know, that's what I try to do um, for folks that maybe need to connect into that, but have difficulty, um, difficulty accessing it and figuring out what, what the best way in. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. Just really using the somatic sense of, of connection and, uh-huh. yeah. and, you know, folks who are approaching a time of grief or in some kind of crisis um, like this, bringing them to a place where they can feel a sense of connection and belonging is like such important um, therapy at that time. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. this is, and I think the more we have um, like an established neurological pathway in our own brains for plugging into our belonging with all that is around us, the more we can kind of coach other people into that either with their words or even just with our sort of like the modeling of our energy. Like if we're really plugged in, it's easier for them to plug in. Yeah. And I feel like um, it helps, you know, it helps everyone to escape kind of like the, th- the, 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 the thought, the thought cycle, the pattern of like, you know, the, the attention being so hyper-focused on what's happening in the moment. It really helps them to sort of escape that it's almost like a reset. And then you can go, kind of go back in and, um, you know, everything improves, like your anxiety levels go down, executive functioning improves, <laughs> you know. Um, so to me that like not only do does belonging help you feel less lonely, it helps you in, in so many ways. It, you know, it helps you just be be more functional and be more able to, um, you know, to conduct your life and make decisions and move, you know, move forward and keep going. So yeah, it's just really important. Mm, thanks for sharing that. That's, that's really powerful. Um, the, the third like type of belonging that I thought we could talk about today um, is belonging to a community or a circle. Um, Cause we, we talked yeah. about the sort of waning <laughs> of, of religious communities. So um yeah, like don't overlook humans. Humans are an important part of the animist world as well. <laughs> not like, I mean, it's interesting. Some people use um, use the term for like the other than human world. Some people use the term like the more than human world. Um, but I just like yeah. to frame it in a way that doesn't 
have a hierarchy. It's not more or less. Yeah. Um, like we we are animals too. Um, we just are mm-hmm. sort of particularly complicated ones, but maybe everyone thinks that they're the most complicated animal. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Wouldn't that be interesting? I wonder, if, you know, like if, you know, mice think they are particularly complicated. <laughs> Yeah. And we and and we and we don't know, you know, because we can't we can't really like simple from mouse perspective. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, and paganism is interesting because it can be very solitary for some people, um, mm-hmm. either by choice or by circumstance. You know, there's there's right. all kinds of literature out there for like the solitary witch and stuff like that. Um, or it can be very or completely community-based you know some people's pagan paths take place entirely at like a few seasonal festivals um right. or at like yeah. it's, it's or like where they where they check in and touch base just like yeah yeah exactly, exactly. it's like the easter and christmas christians <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> it's, the, it's the beltane and Samhain pagans <laughs> and you know i think a lot of people aspire to have a, a balance between a strong solitary practice uh, you know, some community-based festivals and also have a circle, um, you know, have a core group, have a coven, whatever you want to call it, um, uh-huh. that can accompany you through the ups and downs of life that, that you can be connected to on like a weekly basis, a monthly basis, whatever, whatever works for you. Um, and it's, I also find that like having a pagan community is a very important reinforcement for me. If I get stressed out and distracted and there's bills to pay and I got to go to work and all these things. That's what the hardest time it, that it is for me to remember mm-hmm. to, um, to tap into these animus relationships and to be in community with the souls all around me. And I find that being in community and in circle with other people who are also, you know, agreeing to focus on that in their lives, choosing to focus on that in their lives. It's, it's reinforcing. Like I, I need other people around me that are like, well, have you pulled a tarot card about that? Or like, have you asked the brook, <laughs> you know, um, to yep. remind yep. me what I'm trying to do with my life and my experience. Yeah. And, you know, in some ways, even if you're listening to this podcast, you're in our weaver circle. <laughs> so, yeah, it's really important. It's a, it's very, um, I find it so enriching to my life to know that there is a group of folks out there who have, you know, similar values and experiences to my own, you know, even though we're not, we're not all completely the same, we're, you know, we're still individuals, but we can come into a circle together and do some really deep and powerful work and, and, and add to each other's magics, right? I love that. Definitely. And, you know, community is a uh, a magical and ephemeral thing and it can be mm-hmm. created anywhere and sometimes it falls apart and doesn't work and there's it's it's its own sort of creature you have to tend I, of, I often um, think about the sort of group soul of a community yeah, um, yeah like the group soul of a particular cohort of weavers in the spider threads program or something like that and that like when a certain group of people comes together, it forms a unique being, a unique community that is, you know, just totally has its own strengths and weaknesses and um, and needs tending as its own unique thing. Um, yeah. And that's it's something, you know, in my life, I've been a part of a lot of different um, circles <laughs> and communities in a pagan sense. Um, <laughs> and uh, many of them were you know not like some kind of paid program or professionalized thing it was just me and a group mm-hmm. um, whether it was like college clubs or like 
priestess circles after college um, of, the, of those same people or different community groups in the places where I was traveling and living and visiting. Um, you know, there, there can be sort of the the organic community base, like we're just doing this for each other kind of groups. Um, but I've definitely found recently that um, the like finding some level of commitment um, to the circle really helps me feel safe in a circle. And mm -hmm. that that can take a like financial form or it can take a non-financial form. Um, but I've found that a lot of people in our society like do, um, you know, if, if they have really basically if they paid for things they'll show up i mean it's it's a little bit crass to say it that, that simply but um yeah, they've, they've I, committed found... they've committed resources so yeah yeah whether it's money or work exchange or whatever um but there is um yeah i've 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 grown to sort of value and prioritize com um communities and gatherings where people have have made a, a slightly higher level of commitment so that i know there will be that consistency so that i know my heart is like yeah. safe to really invest in that group soul I think that that's um, an unfortunate side effect of our digital culture is that it makes it easy to disappear <laughs> if you, you know, um, you know, if you are no longer interested in something or you don't want to be part of a group, you can just kind of casually fade away, um, you, you know, uh, or you can just ghost the group entirely, um, you know, and I think when we're together um, in person in community and we've committed a bit to that. Um, there are some ups and downs and sometimes you have to ride them. You have to ride the waves. Uh, but in the end, you know, the, the group is stronger and more connected and, and, uh, you know, it goes beyond like a surface level of connection. It becomes very deeply heartfelt. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that those, those ups and downs are sometimes mo some of the most potent parts of the magic too. Like it, yeah, it yeah, really absolutely. frustrating in the moment, but like, if you look back a little later, you'll be like, oh, I, I see. I was learning a really important healing lesson from that. And, you know, that, that gave me a container to take risks and to get support and to be safe in that learning. Um, I always say know. it tastes like spiritual growth. Yeah, <laughs> which of course, you know, we have to have the caveat, like, don't stay in an abusive spiritual community. Like there are also of course like, not. Yeah, people no, don't do that. are going to take advantage of that concept. You know, you no, should no, have no. the right to leave at any time. You don't want to join a cult. Um, yeah, no, don't but, do that. Don't do that. Like but a healthy conflict is is good. But yeah, <laughs> manipulation, not good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you got to have some discernment around that. But um, but yeah, if you find a group that you... And the majority of people can really commit to like supporting each other. That learning journey is just so beautiful. And I, I mean, watching other people like blossom under, um, you know, with that level of support and, and that ability to make, like make commitments to themselves too. I mean, one of the, one of the, one of my favorite traditions we have in the weavers is our tradition of oaths where we oh uh, yeah the oath taking yeah <laughs> people that are to take an oath that is of their creation we don't tell people what to what to swear an oath about but like you know basically commit to a goal of theirs in front of the group uh and we have a whole a whole tradition of challenging people's oaths where someone's like mm -hmm. i want to do this and then everyone in the circle gets to like well what if you modified your commitment in these three <laughs> ways to make it realistic, you know, because sometimes people yeah. come with these really big idealistic ones and you're like, well, yep, I don't know yep. if, that, if that's realistic for you. Um, 
and and then to be the witnesses that they can check in with every month and and let us know how they're fulfilling their oath and um or how they've decided that they would like to do an alternate thing we often we often um build into oaths uh like a forfeit yeah. where people <laughs> you know if you can't actually do a two-hour trans journey every day for the next month or whatever you tried to commit to you know um then you there's an alternate thing that you can offer that is a little easier and simpler um yeah. that it well, will one of the those will be considered fulfilled either way yeah well one of the important parts of the why we do this in way of the weaver is we're basing it on um a lot of very ancient traditions where the the oath the oath takers like performance of the oath affects the luck of the community <laughs> of, of everybody who was there and was present and um, you brought that from the Norse tradition and it was really great and then when I started researching Hades I found out that that was very much part of a Greek oath taking as well and you know it's um it's very interesting because uh, not only is the oath taker, I think, got some accountability, the community is like far more invested in the success of, of each other's endeavors because our luck and our magic is tied to it, you know? And I, I feel like that all comes back to integrity. Like we want to live a life surrounded by people with integrity who are going to do what they say they're going to do or you know or something else you know pass the ball don't drop it or you know they're, they're going to, sh yeah. to to show up in ways that are um that we can count on because I know for me that's what makes me feel belonging is that the, the mm -hmm. that I feel like I can really trust the people around me and um that they're operating with a high level of integrity um because then I can really relax and let my guard down and be vulnerable knowing that the people around me are trustworthy um, yeah. so I, I love how that tradition sort of builds the sense of trust and integrity. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> well, um, we've, we've done a whole, uh, survey of sense of belonging, um, and, and with, you know, the human people and the other people in our, in our lives. Um, and I'm, I, I think one of the intentions of doing this at the new year is to, um, just give people a chance to reflect on whether this is something you want to cultivate at a new level in your, in your life in the year to come. Um, take a little inventory of your sense of belonging and see if it's, if it's healthy or if it could use some love. Um, and um, I think we had a few, a few other uh, practices to offer, but the episode's getting kind of long. So maybe we should just call it there. Um, yeah. So, you know, there, yeah, I think it, taking an inventory is a good thing. And, um, you know, I feel like, you know, relationships are, you know, they're so subjective and there's no, you know, there's no rules to animism. There's no like, <laughs> you know, there's like no set, like this is the protocol of how you do it. Right. Um, you know, there's just a few important things to remember. Consent, always the importance of consent and always that your uh, your impact is far more important than your intention. So please consider the impacts that you may have. Um, yeah. And uh, just, I don't know, I think gratitude is a, is a good place to end it. Just, you know, is, you know, by offering gratitude when and where we can for all the beings Um around us all the time. What do you think? What's your, what's your, your ending takeaway? Um, I think my ending takeaway is just that I need and appreciate regular reminders, um, 
of how I'm choosing to be in the world with respect to all the souls around me. And um, for me, those reminders, I know, take the form of other people that I'm in community with. They take the form of altars and art that I've put up around my house. Um, they take the form of like the ways that I've structured my life so that I'm every day handling the wood of the trees that I'm grateful for and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is, um, you know, it's easy to get sucked into a mindset of scarcity and overwork and busyness. And that's what makes me feel disconnected. And so I just need these continual reminders because it doesn't, doesn't really take more time to be an animist. I mean, you can invest more time into it if you want to, but it's really just like how you move through the world. Um, and like that cultivating those relationships of respect with wherever you go. Um, and, and I appreciate everything in my life that, that reminds me and brings me back to that. Yeah. I feel so much gratitude. I feel like, um, yeah, I definitely have like an abundance, like an, a wealth of like so much connection around me. And it's some, sometimes it's hard to believe. I'm like, I'm so lucky, but it's not luck. It's just the way things are meant to be, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's good to get to remember that we are not alone. Well, let's talk a little bit about what we have coming up. Any announcements or things like that? Uh, Murphy, tell us, since we've been talking all about belonging and animism, tell us a little bit more about the Spider Threads cohort, which we are running this year in 2024. Yes, I'm very excited. We didn't have one of these in 2023 and I missed it. Um, So we're running our Spider Threads cohort, which is a six month group learning and community building program. Um, we do a deep dive into the core skill sets of ethical matter. Um, and we have three long weekends, one in May, one in June, and one in October, uh, where we gather in person. And then in between, we do connection over Zoom and things like that to keep building and nurturing and feeding our, our sense of community. Um, it's queer-centric and trans-centric. Um, we have strong ethics around cultural appropriation. There's BIPOC scholarships. Um, and it's also just like lots of fun. Um, oh, yeah, I was going to so say, there's the serious that, part so... and there's the fun part. <laughs> I know. It's just, it's joyous. It's so fulfilling. It's like, um, yeah, I look forward to our weekends so, so much and I'm so filled up by them. Um, so if you go to wayoftheweaver.com, you can find the details for that. It's, it's usually a cohort of like around 20 people or something like that, which is a really nice size. Um, and yeah, get in touch if you would like to join us for that. Um, we are also doing a Weaver camp in June. If you can't commit to six months, but you want to just commit to four days, you can join us for Weaver camp and yeah, try it Weaver out. Weaver camp Get is fun. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, it's what like do you have su- coming up? Oh, I was going to say, I just enjoy it. It's like summer camp for magical adults. I love it. Um, so I've got, oh my goodness, 2024 is going to be busy, but I am very excited about it. Um, so I've been talking about how uh, my book, Hades, Myth, Magic, and Modern Devotion is coming out from Llewellyn. We're getting very, very close to its release date. The The physical copies of the book start shipping on February 8th, so coming up next month. And I now have some events on the books um, where I'm going to be in person and giving uh, just a little bit of a lecture and also just answering questions and signing books and hanging out and meeting people. 
Um, I have two events in Birmingham, Alabama, and one event in Atlanta. So if you want, if you're interested in coming and chatting with me in person, I would love to see you. I would love to meet you. Um, you can go and check out my website, which is jamiewagoner.com. It'll be in the show notes, a link to that. And you can just check out those events if you want more information. And the other thing is uh, I have two conferences coming up. Uh, They're both in March. (laughs) One is Botanica Obscura. That's an online conference. And the other is Paganicon 2024, which is in person in Plymouth, Minnesota. That's in the Twin Cities area. And I'm going to be, um, again, talking about Hades, talking about death. You know, you know how I roll. (laughs) And uh, you're welcome to come to either one of those conferences. And all of that information, again, will be linked in the show notes. And it's also on my website. So come and uh, introduce yourself to me or, you know, come and, and see and learn all kinds of cool things and meet some cool people. So that's what I've got that's coming up right away. There's probably a stay tuned. There's going to be a lot more (laughs) as the year progresses. I'm so excited for your book to come out to the world, Jamie. It's going to be a really really packing moment. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I really enjoyed checking in on animism today. And I just want to wish everybody a happy uh, new year, a happy turning of the calendar year. And thanks for listening. And we hope you'll continue to listen. that it should we roll the credits yeah roll the credits (laughs) all right (laughs) thanks for joining us you can learn more about way of the weaver programs at www.wayoftheweaver.com if you like this episode please share it with your friends it also helps if you write us a review subscribe to this podcast so you never miss a new episode They'll be coming out on or around the 13th of every month. Our theme music is by Fern Maddie, and you can find more from her at fernmaddiemusic.com. Remember that magic is real, present all around us, and a profound tool for justice and transformation. Use it well. <laughs>